Good to have you along. John Scholes here. And with me, again, Chris Justice, Sam Fury to Market LLP. That's where he's coming from. But he is here for the next half hour to help you out with all your employment law questions. He'll give you the answers. All you need to do is pick up that phone. You have questions about anything with your job life, bring them on. We'd love to talk to you. Email help at employmentlawyer.ca. That goes for any time when the show is not on air, anytime as well. And the phone number to reach Chris and his team. 1-855-821-5900. You also have the availability of pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Great website, free, it's anonymous, all kinds of information to be learned on the site. Even before you make a phone call to Chris and his team, you can go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca and take full advantage of the severance calculator rolled into that sucker as well. But we're going to get to uh, all kinds of good things over the next half hour. Should I negotiate my own severance package? What do you think? We'll talk about that in just a bit. But first, we always have a, a little news story or something that's been happening uh, on your side. Chris, what do you got going on, pal? Yeah, this time around, I, um, I've got a survey. I was looking at a survey that was recently conducted by a staffing company out of uh, North America. And the focus of this survey in particular was an employer's thoughts as to um, employees and their use of social media while employed and, and how that would affect their employment, if at all. And what the survey found was that about 86% of employers overall uh, said that they would let go or fire an employee based on that employee making an inappropriate post of some sort through social media. Um, so I thought this would be a good opportunity to kind of discuss that, the, the interplay between social media and the workplace. Because in terms of what's deemed to be inappropriate, the survey was looking at things, um, of course, that would damage the company's repu reputation, yep. uh, reveal confidential information, um, obviously any reference to illegal drug use or activity, um, and otherwise violate the, the social media policy of that employer. Um, and I know with this day and age, of course, everyone's posting uh, on various social media apps and websites. So it's always something I think people need to be mindful of. You know, they may not think that something they post will later on have any ramifications. They may even think that what they're saying online is true about their employer. Um, but that certainly doesn't mean that the employer can't act. And, and then you got to deal with the aftermath from that. Um, although I have spoken on this show before about how, of course, it's very hard for an employer to establish just right. cause. And this, of course, extends to, you know, social media posts or social media activity in general. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of people might be thinking, okay, my employer's caught me uh, saying something on Facebook, Instagram, whatever it may be. And, you know, what are my rights? Am I dead to rights, basically? And to that, I would say, well, no, there's still a very good chance, even in that situation as an employee, you're going to be owed severance if your employer lets you go. But it's nonetheless something you do need to be mindful of because, yeah, often people just don't have that foresight to think it's going to be an issue. And then their employer, lo and behold, sort of discovers this and all of a sudden you're called into a, a boardroom or a meeting of some sort. It's interesting too because we don't know the uh, you know the the slice of the pie that Canada was involved in the survey if it's a North American survey, but I guess the rules in the states are much different than they are up here. I, I mean, uh, somebody up here, of course, advised not to do what you just yeah. said, but I mean, there's probably a, less of a chance of them working in this country of being smoked and run out the door right away as opposed to being in the states. Not the same robust type of laws down there, right? 
Yeah, and, and also with the U.S., uh, uh, you know, there's not typically as lenient laws, as you say. So if you are let go, let's say in the U.S., not, not that I can really opine too much on U.S. matters, but I know that you're probably going to be afforded a lot less on your way out um, in those circumstances overall. Um, but yeah, whether it's with respect to Canada or U.S., I think the clear point is that these employers, um, of course, do find it problematic. And at the very least, if they find out, you're going to certainly get a talking to. Um, and I actually know a lot of employers who will screen applicants before they even consider someone for a job. Uh, you know, they might creep somebody's social media accounts, and you may not even know, you know, that, you know, the reason as to why you didn't get a role, and, and you know, lo and behold, again, it's because your employer did some searching and maybe found out you might not be the best fit, or there might be something that reflects poorly on the business from their perspective. So, um, yeah, just, I think, a general uh, piece of information for all those and some food for thought. I, I do think it's important for employers, uh, I mentioned this just a second ago, to have social media policies. So if you're an employer on that side of things, you want to make sure you have a clearly defined policy that sets out you know, what is allowed and what isn't, and obviously communicate that to your employees. But again, even if there is a policy, and for those employees who are in a situation like this where they've had to deal with an issue on the social media side of things, just again, don't assume that you have no recourse because there's still that very good chance you're going to be owed severance. Yeah, you, you bring up the social media policy on the employer side. It's interesting you say that. I guess it's it's not good just having this thing in a binder locked up on the fourth floor. I mean, is this not something they should have all employees or at least potential employees once they get hired, read it, go over it, sign it, return it, that they've gone through it? Yeah, I think if, again, you're talking from the employer's perspective, yep. you're going to want to um, obviously have those policies very clearly communicated. If you're talking about hiring on new employees, you're going to want to make sure that they read these policies, that maybe there's a sign-off along with the original employment agreement with respect to those policies rather than, you know, employers coming in, you know, halfway through the, the working relationship and, you know, introducing policies which may or may not be enforceable at that point. Um, but nonetheless, you're going to want to have clearly identified sort of categories of what is and isn't allowed, uh, especially, again, in this day and age, people may not fully understand what's acceptable and what isn't. Um, and also, especially given that, you know, we've got a lot more people now working from home remotely and, you know, there may be a tendency while you're working from home in your comfort to um, maybe use the Internet a bit more liberally uh, during your work hours or, you know, whatever the case may be, do something off, uh, you know, outside of the work itself. There might be more tempt temptations there. Good opening, uh, opening salvo there, pal. We'll take a short break. We'll get to our phone calls. Jaslyn, I see you there. Hang on. We'll get to you on the other side of a very short break. Employment Law Show, hang on. John Scholes hosting here alongside my good pal, Chris Justice, Sam Firu, Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. That is where Chris is coming from. You can reach out to Chris anytime when we're not doing the show. one 855 help at employmentlawyer.ca. Jaslyn, thank you so much for standing by. How are you tonight? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Great. What's uh, what's on your mind? Okay. Um, so I was employed with a company for eight and a half years. Um, I also was working a part-time job throughout throughout the years. Um, I recently got temporarily laid off for 13 weeks. No call back, but I was working two part-time jobs at the time. Uh, I called an employment lawyer, paid the $200, and he told me I am not eligible for my severance because I am still making an income. Okay, well, I'm glad you called in because I'll say that it's not always the case that just because you're making income, you're therefore disqualified for severance. 
Now, uh, just a question. The job you mentioned that you had for eight and a half years, was that the one that you were temporarily laid off from? Yeah, correct. Okay. And again, the rationale is because you had a second job part-time that you're not going to get any severance as a result of being laid off in the other, in the first one. Um, it, there was a two week gap period where I did end up becoming full time at one of my part time jobs because I did okay. need the income. I just got a brand new car, so I needed something, you know? Oh, no, that's fair enough. I, I think there's two main things going on here. So the first issue is whether or not an employer actually has the right to lay you off. Um, even yeah. if it's for 13 weeks and even if they're saying the law allows them to lay you off. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that they can just lay you off for that time frame without your consent. So okay. if that's the case, then even if they're calling it a temporary layoff, it could actually in law be considered a termination. So that's the first okay. issue, I think. Now, the second issue is that if it is a termination and if after this termination date or this layoff, you just as a matter of fact, were continuing to earn money through another source, you're generally not going to be um, I guess the money that you're making at the time you were laid off is generally not going to be counted. But if let's say, for example, you have two jobs and you lose one and by a uh, result of losing one, your earnings in the second go up, then it may be the case that the, the difference, how much you've actually increased those earnings at the second job, that might be factored in, in terms of whether or not you're owed severance with the employer that, that you're at for eight and a half years. Um, but if you're, if someone just got three jobs and they're making $10,000 in each job and they lose one of them, just because they're making 20,000 in the other two jobs, doesn't mean they're not, that they're automatically disqualified from severance. Does that make sense? Okay. Did you follow? Yeah. Yeah, I do. So, so yeah, I would say that, um, I would have to look at it a bit more detail in terms of whether there was consent on the layoff and whether there's a contract you signed that might speak to the ability for the employer to lay you off. But, um, Depending on kind of what that uncovered, um, you definitely would have the potential of getting severance from that one job if you didn't want to consent to the layoff, that is. Okay, that's what I thought. I'll give you a number to call here, Jasmine, at uh, your convenience uh, and carry on with Chris. Uh, Offer, of course, 1 855 821 5900. Again, 1 855 821 5900. You can also reach out at help at employmentlawyer.ca. John, you're up next, pal. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Good big guy. What's Doing on well. uh, what's on your mind? Yeah, just uh, quickly two things. I I I'm having an issue with one of my supervisors at work, and he's speaking a lot every day. Like I I thought probably four or five times a day he will speak to me about little things. I've worked for seven years for this company, and uh, he's probably worked there for two. And he's telling he's he's trying to uh, write me up and come at me with uh, little petty infractions and things like that, or say. Uh, I can't take a washroom break whenever this and that. And it's becoming a nuisance that I know I'm going to speak to this person about everything that I do uh, um, that other people have been doing and they're doing. I'm watching them. I work with these people. I'm not trying to call it any names and, and say anything about their habits. I don't care. But it right. was someone's coming up to me <clears throat> all the time. When does it become discrimination or harassment? How, how do I go about Go, uh, go about getting this person to leave me alone. Let me work my ship. Yeah, it's uh, and thank you for calling in. It's an issue that I think affects a lot of people. And usually what I say, first of all, is if you think that you are being harassed or bullied or intimidated uh, in the workplace, whether it's by your direct boss or supervisor or somebody else, um, obviously that's a huge issue. 
Um, but a lot of times people also confuse maybe something that might be considered harassment to maybe a form of micromanagement, which may or may not be harassing. So um, I don't know yeah. if your company, I'm sure it does, have some sort of anti-harassment policy or some booklet of some sort. Uh, yeah, they do. That, um, so what's happening is I'm having a, I'm ha- I've had issues in the past where mm-hmm. there's been, I've been switched off shift. I've, uh, and um, I've, I've had complaints. I've made complaints against them and uh, they've made complaints back to me. So right. now that I'm on a new shift and, and this person feels like they got to uh, 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 micromanage me or police me in a certain way when I'm just looking for a fresh start and to work peacefully. I'm, I've never had an issue with anybody in there. Um, right. I've never been uh, uh, intimidating or anything. And I feel like this person is uh, really trying their best to get me enough write-ups to where I can get terminated or they can suspend me for just little, like I bought, here, here's an example. Uh, I see people go out for cigarette breaks and they don't ask permission to do that because they just go back, they go and come back. If I go out on my cell phone to call my wife and kids that are very young and just to check up on them, he'll say, you have to tell me that you're going outside to use your phone. I'm like, you didn't ask anybody else to go uh, when they were going outside for cigarette breaks. Nobody's asked. I watched. I don't just say, hey, this guy didn't ask you. I watched for weeks. And I said, nobody has even asked you one time to go out for a cigarette. These guys are all grown-ups. We're all grown-ups. Nobody's asked you, but you're asking me to ask you to go outside, to go on right. my phone for the same amount of time that someone's going I don't smoke. For the same amount of time that someone's going out for a cigarette. And I got to ask yeah. to go on my phone outside, though. But they're not asking for cigarette breaks. Yeah, so I think there's two issues. The first is whether or not you're being subjected to some form of harassment. And I think if you look at the company's policy, and hopefully there's a definition of somewhere, you can kind of look that, look at that and use that as a way to kind of set out all the ways in which you feel like you've been harassed. And obviously, the more information you have and details, the better, because you do want to voice your complaints. You don't want to say nothing, and that's just going to be seen as you condoning things. And, you know, the company is going to have an out to say, well, you never complained or raised any concerns. So that's kind of number one. Yeah. You got to go through all that and highlight all of that so they're aware and put it in writing. And the second thing is that if you think there's differential treatment, the question would be, why are you being treated differently? Is it because of some protected ground under the human rights? Is it because you're a man? Is it because you're of a certain race? Um, or yeah. is there just differential treatment towards you because somebody else may not like you or there might be some clash of personalities? I think if you're able also to point out the ways in which you're being treated versus others and show that there's either some sort of targeted effort against you or just inconsistent treatment across the board, then I think that along with your examples of harassment, bullying, intimidation, et cetera, um, could go a long way in either rectifying the issue completely or at the very least, you've now got a paper trail of your concerns so that later on, if the company tries to build a case against you, it's going to have a much harder time because you'll have already pushed back and given your side of the story as I say, again, in writing is important. So you have that record. Yes. John, are you um, unionized? Sorry. Are you unionized? Yes, I am unionized. That's my next uh, question. I'm just going to quickly ask. Chris, that make a difference? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, how do, so how just. How would I go about? How would I go about um, uh, getting my youth? Like, I, I'm not getting responses from my union. It, I'm not trying to be dramatic. This is probably the worst union I've ever been a part of. Uh, you heard that last night too. How do I go too. about maybe exiting <laughs> the union? or filing a suit against the union for not protecting me. Uh, yeah, it, it's very difficult. I will say that the odds of success of somebody um, successfully having um, 
uh, sort of like a duty of fair representation claim is what you're talking about. So uh, I'm not a unionized um, specialist and, you know, I specialize in non-unionized matters, so I can't really comment too much. But um, what I do know is that when people are not satisfied with the representation of the union, um, they generally have the right to file a claim for a duty of fair representation. Um, you, okay. you should hopefully be able to communicate with the union itself. I mean, they are supposed to be acting in your interests and advancing any grievances on your behalf. You may also want to consult your collective bargaining agreement as a union member, because that might set out the process by which you would file your grievances um, and also set out the processes by which you could um, assert a complaint or of some sort of concern against the union itself. Um, so usually I say to people who are in unions, because again, I don't specialize in that area, talk to your local union rep, look at your collective bargaining agreement. And otherwise, I think the advice I gave earlier would still stay the same in terms of making a record, making a paper trail of your concerns. So they're still fresh in your mind and you have all those details. But um, yeah, I would say you got to start with your union rep first and hopefully you can get some some advice or some feedback from them. And if you've got a documented history of reaching out to them and writing through emails and they're ignoring you, then maybe you could go to the next step. But I would say first do all of that, see if anything comes of it. And if not, then at the very least, maybe you can give us a call and I can um, refer you to someone who might specialize in that area. Thanks for your time, John. I'm going to let you go and uh, move on. 416-870-6400 is how you do it. Josh, thanks for uh, standing by. Good evening. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, good. My What's situation up? is I've scheduled some time off to actually write my exams for the that I'm uh, currently working in, in the field. Mm -hmm. And uh, my uh, employer has uh, indicated to me that I cannot take that time off any longer and that I need to come in. And I was, this was scheduled months in advance. And uh, he said that if I don't come in, he'll take that as me quitting. Oh, and, and sorry, how much time are you asking to take off? Uh, two weeks. Okay. And you've been at this company or working for this business for how long? five years okay so you had scheduled it in advance did you have discussions with the company itself about your need to take it and if so was there any agreement on their end before they decided to say what they did so it's it's uh pretty lax uh it's a small company but uh you know we right. schedule our time off and we put it uh it's not really an HR department, but we, we put it to uh, the person that's in charge of scheduling time off for people. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I did that, there was no issues. Uh, this is literally coming, you know, weeks before I needed, I need the time off it's coming up right. in March. And, and is the schooling at all relate to the job itself or, or yeah. is it, it is yeah. and, for and... me to get my designation for, to be a full fledged technician. Yes. And I assume getting that designation would assist this business that you're with? Absolutely. I mean, yes, but they would have to pay me, obviously, uh, more reflecting that designation. Right, right. Okay. I but, think... But yeah, um, in, yes, that's the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think in general, when it comes to these things, the question is, what are the expectations of both sides? You know, was there some expectation um, in this capacity that there would be a need to get this designation that, that would be coming up down the line um, on both sides? Um, and also, I think the duration of time that you're off is, is relevant. You know, obviously, if you were saying you needed to take six months to a year off, then the question becomes, how can the employer accommodate that? 
Um, but I, I don't necessarily think that if you uh, tell your employer you're going to take some time off for schooling, but that you're ready, willing, and able to come back as soon after as possible, that, that they would have just carte blanche to say that you quit your job. That, that may be a scenario where you could potentially lose your job, but ultimately be deserving of severance at the very least. Um, okay. But I, I think it just also, just as I say, comes back to the terms of your employment. You know, if you have a job, let's say, and there's absolutely no expectation or understanding that you'd be taking time off to go to school and you take two weeks off, then I can understand an employer who might be a bit more aggrieved at that versus there, there haven't been some previous discussions or a general understanding that that was going to happen at some point. Um, so I think it also might come down to your specific context. Um, but I, I do think that at the very least, if they do take that action, um, you're, you have a good chance of getting severance, but you need to be prepared to potentially lose your job if you go through with that, because it seems pretty clear based on what you're saying that your employer is not going to be waiting for you after the end of the two weeks. No, I'm prepared. I was actually thinking of just walking out now, but I don't want to do that to myself. I, I'm deserving of this time off. And as you said, if, if they indeed, you know, let me go when I don't show up on that Monday, uh, then we'll deal with it then. And right. And, right. So, and I also, and just one other thing I'll say is I don't know if you've got, you know, obviously you have some sort of vacation policy, I assume, um, or have the ability to take off some time in general for, for certain things, whether it's vacation or otherwise. So that might right. be a possible avenue to go down. But I absolutely agree with what you just said a minute ago, which is not to just simply say you quit and then leave and then come talk to a lawyer. You're going to want to right. talk to a lawyer first before you have those types of communications with your employer, because you may just say something that makes your case a whole lot more difficult to, to be successful on. And um, yeah, a lawyer won't be able to help you out as much. Uh, yeah, I understand. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Thank you for calling. Yeah, it's, uh, I just think about that call. It's interesting, Chris. I mean, there's, if, if there's a means to an end, you don't want to go in guns blazing all the time. You want to take a step back and maybe give you a call before it goes south, right? The wrong way, right. you know? Yeah, I know. It's it's a little bizarre, which is why we tell people to call you when the show's over, right? Yeah, yeah. Like any time an employee just wants to take a certain action in general and their employer's not letting them. And then as a response, they say, well, forget you guys. I'm out of here and I'm going to go seek legal advice or something along those lines. I mean, you may very well be in a situation where what your employer has done is a breach of contract, but it also may be one of those borderline cases, or you may just completely be in the wrong. And as I say, now you've put some email to them in writing a one or two liner that says, I quit. You haven't really given any indication or context to why you sent that. And then as I was saying to um, our last caller, it just becomes that much more difficult to, sort of succeed in a case like that and get what you're probably deserving of at that point. Especially given the, in Josh's case, I think five plus years. So yeah, there's definitely yeah, some there potential there for sure. And with that, we're going to leave you with a couple of numbers and some contact to get a hold of Chris and his team. If you have more questions, we're back in tomorrow. But in the meantime, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. And finally, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca as well. Employment Law Show.